a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Oh, Keith, this is just depressing all over. Our topic of conversation today is that the world is doomed. Now, you have just been overseas and you have been at, well, it's the Club of Rome. I mean, this is very, very high-end stuff, Keith, (laughs) that none of us, you know, bottom feeders (laughs) can relate to. But you've been amongst very, very educated people, great thinkers of the world, and your conclusion is that we're all stuffed. Well, I wouldn't quite put it as bluntly as that, but... Basically, the Club of Rome was set up 50 years ago. You had two key people, Aurelio Pachai, who was an Italian industrialist whom I never got to meet, and Alexander King, who was a British scientist and administrator. And it was Alex with whom I was a close friend. So these two were separately giving talks 50 years ago on what the high rate of economic growth would do to the environment. So it's hard to imagine, but 50 years ago, Nobody talked about the environment. If you talked about the environment, you meant the protection of chateau, um, making sure we didn't have fog in cities and that sort of thing. Um, these two people, quite separately, were giving talks on what the high rate of economic growth, because remember the economy was picking up from World War II. The economy was booming. And they were just asking the question, what will this do to, to the long-term environmental impact. There, there must be limits, the amount of resources you can dig out of the ground. And so these two men, uh, Aurelio Pachai and Alexander King, came together uh, 50 years ago and they decided to commission an inquiry using this new invention of the computer to model uh, what will happen. Gotcha. And they produced a report which was published in 1972 called Limits to Growth. So Limits to Growth um, had a number of different scenarios. They weren't all pessimistic, but they just simply said, we've got to be careful. They weren't predictions, but they were 12 alternative scenarios, six pessimistic, six optimistic, on how the planet could be impacted by the high rate of economic growth, uh, resource depletion and environmental destruction. Uh, Now, I might just say the computer power used back in 1972 was very primitive, but it is very interesting how subsequent studies nonetheless have borne out a lot of the uh, ideas expressed back in 1972. So um, in 1972, um, when they were talking about resource scarcity, what we have found is a lot of more resources in the world, but at the same time, in 1972, the three young scholars involved um, who put together limits to growth, they hadn't uh, thought about India and China. And, of course, those two countries are developing rapidly now. So it's quite interesting to read this report, Limits to Growth. One of the authors um, has produced a number of other books uh, over the time. Uh, speaking at the conference in Rome that we had uh, at the Vatican, he made the comment that these three young students, as they were 50 years ago, they uh, didn't bother to go for the royalties. They never thought it was going to be a particularly significant book. And so they just simply waived the royalties. In fact, it turned out to be the biggest selling environment book in world history. They've sold 9 million copies in 36 languages. And suddenly the environment as an issue was top of mind. So this is back in 1972. So 1968, Aurelio Pachai and Alexander King, now and last both dead, they came together, created the Club of Rome, 
which commissioned this study from then three young computer experts who then produced this report, Limits to Growth, that foreshadowed some of the immense problems that would be uh, besetting the earth. They gave us a warning back in 1972, and that's been ignored. That has been the real problem. It's the warning that we have ignored, and... Now we do get a bit of progress. You know, we've got some progress on climate change. I've got to say the Pope has a much better policy on climate change than the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, or the American President for that matter. So, you know, it was great to have the conference held within the confines of the Vatican, or that wasn't sponsored by the Vatican. The Club of Rome, by the way, is not a Catholic conspiracy. I know it sounds like something out of a Dan Brown novel. <laughs> the, Cl- the Club of Rome, 100 members worldwide, the Club of Rome is based in Rome because Aurelio Pachai, being an Italian industrialist, had offices in Rome. And so for the early years of the Club of Rome, simply ran the club out of their own offices. And so that's that's why it's called the Club of Rome. It's got no link uh, with the Italian government or the Vatican. So we're going to go into the, you know, philosophies of the Club of Rome in a moment and this climate change stuff. However, Keith... We do need to question you further on how you came to be a part of this 100 elite club. That's right. Well, that's because of Alexander King. So I met Alexander on um, one of his trips to Australia and and he was impressed. I was that this is what over 25 years ago when I was a young fellow working in the media <laughs> and it, and Alexander decided that it was important for the Club of Rome to lift its media profile. Remember the Club of Rome limits to growth had done very well, but you've got to keep on reminding people about the warning Um, because basically we are enjoying trashing this planet. Mm. That's our problem. As humans, we are trashing the planet um, and we really don't want to hear about warning voices. So Alexander brought me on to be involved in the Club of Rome, particularly in terms of the communications. And in the early years of my membership, I was involved in producing conference communiques and that sort of thing, just doing a lot of the writing for the Club of Rome. So is it solely an um, environmental organisation? No, it's broadened itself out quite considerably. Um, it pr- continues to produce reports, though none has attracted the worldwide attention of Limits to Growth. Limits to Growth, by the way, got criticised by the left and the right. So the left criticised the report because they said Karl Marx had said every problem could be solved by technology, so there will always be a techno fix for every problem. The right said, no, look, uh, every problem could be solved by the market. And so being criticised by left and right did wonders for book sales. So that was how the Club of Rome got that initial impetus. It's produced a number of reports uh, since then, one by Ugo Bardi, for example, um, it's talked about the depletion of easily available minerals. So sure, there's still a lot of minerals left in the earth. We see that in Australia, but we're having to go to deeper and deeper depths. Uh, in the case of oil, for example, uh, in Saudi Arabia, uh, in the ni- late 1930s, they uncovered the largest oil field on, in the world, Gawar, uh, and the joke was you simply put a straw into the sand and the oil bubbled up through the straw. Now, that's an exaggeration, but it showed how much oil there was then. Now that that oil field is running down. So there are problems with oil, problems with other resources. So the Club of Rome continues to produce reports. One warning which it did issue, uh, which has been ignored, was the warning about uh, what information technology, rather quaintly called microelectronics in those days. They did one of the first warnings 
about what microelectronics will do to employment prospects for people. In other words, that you will see jobs being removed by virtue of new technology. So Mm. in the old days, for example, when I left school, I was guaranteed a job. I either worked in the civil service or I went to work in the bank as a teller. Now people do their banking a hole in the wall at an automatic teller machine or they do it over their telephone, mobile phone. You don't need an army of young bank tellers. All those jobs have disappeared. Similarly, now you have self-service in a a lot of the supermarket checkouts. You don't have all those young people. So for the high-end jobs, okay, still some jobs left there, but for many of those low jobs, they've gone. Um, the low-skilled ones. So the Club of Rome, 20-odd years ago, issued a report on, as I say, it's called microelectronics, what we would now call information technology, just warning about this. In fact, one of the speakers we had at the uh, Club of Rome reminded us of the Sistine Chapel, which was only a few yards from where we were seated, right? And he reminded us that there is this uh, Michelangelo painting which is called The Creation of Adam. So just to jog your memory, you've got God with his finger touching the left hand of Adam. In other words, God... And he's nude. He's nude. Like a lot of those paintings. That's right. And he's giving... (laughs) It's amazing what goes into your mind. Life is going from God to humankind. Yep. What we're now seeing, the argument is that... Uh, Adam's right hand, which at the moment is just leaning on the cloud, it actually swings across and is touching a robot. So God gives life to humankind. Humankind is now giving it to robots. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Suda. We're talking about the delightful topic today of the end of the world. And doomsday, uh, because Keith has been overseas and he's been very lucky to be in the company of very, very intelligent people who are part of a hundred club called the Club of Rome. And they are responsible for doing these big studies and have done for 50 years uh, on the environment, on technology, on all sorts of things. And it's fascinating what comes out of there, Keith. But the most recent findings you had was about the environment, about how we're all stuffed because we've just been trashing the environment. We have indeed. So if you go back to the limits to growth, the original report there, they had four key messages. One is that planet Earth has finite resources. Two, the level of consumption would need to be reduced. Three, there are various limits because the resources will not run out at the same time. In other words, you know, you've got these doomsday movies that somehow everything collapses at the same time. The Club of Rome in in their report suggests that the resources running out will vary one from another. So, as you know, we've got problems with water, uh, not least here in Australia, but water elsewhere around the world. So you'll see water stress increasing around the world. You've got problems with the running out of some of the energy, some of the other raw materials. And that, that we will have a gradual social decline. Um, the world won't suddenly collapse by hitting an environmental brick wall, but will just gradually become degraded. Now, ironically, while this process is underway, conventional economic indicators may distort our perception of the level of the danger because economic activities are measured through what's called the gross domestic product. Mm, mm. So gross domestic product measures the movement of money through the economy. So bushfires are good for the economy, right? Uh, my why? Favorite example, Hold on, why? Economic activity. You've got 
people involved in fire brigades, got rebuilding going on. Wow, I would have thought it would have cost us billions. It costs you billions, but it's putting money into circulation. If I employ a housekeeper, I increase the GDP. If I later marry her and stop paying her a wage, I reduce the GDP. Why would you ever think of that as an example? (laughs) Because it's the one that stays in people's minds. And so for me, it just shows... The problem with relying upon GDP as an economic indicator, and by the way, the Club of Rome has done a great report looking at alternatives to GDP, but if you look at election campaigns, it revolves around increasing GDP. The worry that we've got in the Club of Rome is that if you're just going to be looking at GDP, the level of economic activity, that may actually increase as the climate gets worse. For example, the Dutch will spend more money building dikes to keep out the North Sea. The what? Building the dikes, what? you know, the, the, these, um, the dikes, these dams around the country. 65% of the Netherlands is already below sea level, right? It's, it's reclaimed land from the North Sea. So you've got a, this uh, network of dikes, of dams, to keep the, the North Sea out of flooding over the Netherlands. The soil underneath is brilliant, uh, but... You know, the, the, the risk is that you know that you're underwater, so to speak, under below sea level. Mm-hmm. So the Dutch are spending more and more money building up the dikes, uh, these walls to keep out the water. So that's actually increasing the GDP. But, of course, the quality of life might actually be going down, particularly if you've got other issues with climate change. And when you look around the world, you've got Bangladesh, for example, a lot of that will go underwater with rising sea oh, levels. South Pacific. South Pacific Islands, yeah. A New Zealand government have said that they will recognise as environmental refugees, a category that does not exist in international law, but recognise environmental refugees, those people coming off the South Pacific Islands that are going underwater. In um, Papua New Guinea, the first lot of islands to disappear are called the Carteret Islands. Uh, we already know the first part of America to go under, which will be uh, Kivalek, which is in Alaska. So we're already able to map out parts of the world that we know will disappear because of rising sea levels. What do sceptics say? Why do they think that the sea level's rising? Um, I'm not sure how the sceptics replied to the rising sea levels. They would just simply say, well, look, because the issue is it's not that the weather is changing. Everybody agrees that because weather does keep changing. The issue is whether or not humans are causing the problem. Is it human-induced climate change? The sceptics will say, no, this is the sun misbehaving. It, it changes its mind. It warms up that it cools down because, after all, we've obviously had periods well before humans arrived when the earth was a lot hotter and a lot colder. Um, so their argument is, well, look, it, turn, it turns on the sun. It's got other environmental factors that we simply don't know about, say volcanic activity. Whereas others who would take the view that it's human-induced will say part of the problem also is that we're putting so much pollution into the atmosphere, we're releasing carbon up from the ground by way of coal mining, etc. The deniers are not saying that there's no change with the weather. The deniers are simply saying it's the problem of humans. I just wanted that clarity for a moment because sometimes we do lose sight of all that stuff. But, I mean, they're very much in the, in the minority. I mean, generally- 97% of scientists who've looked at this think there is a problem with human-induced climate change. Let me just say the problem from a media point of view is this issue of balance. In other words, the media are not there to tell the truth. They're there to provide two points of view. And so, and there's a brilliant 
a John Oliver cartoon on or segment on YouTube, which I show to my Boston University students, where they always have Bill Guy, the science guy, a very well-known science personality, and he's always debating somebody else who denies there's a problem with climate change. Um, so it's always these two faces on the screen. And so a lot of people sitting at home think, oh, well, scientists are clearly divided in all of this because it's you know, one side versus the other. And so John Oliver in his program actually has their Bill Guy and then a climate change denier. Then he brings out two other people to sit with the climate change denier. Then he brings out 96 other scientists to sit with Bill Nye to give that you know, real sense of balance because ordinary people are getting a distorted view of the state of the debate within science mm. because of the poor job the media do in reporting the debate over climate change. Yeah, so we're doing the, well, media are doing the, the the right job in terms of depicting both sides, but the reality is the majority of people, majority of the people that matter, the experts say, well, it is happening. That's right. <laughs> and so um, an important job for the Club of Rome is just simply to try to convey these very basic messages. We have a real problem um, with human-induced climate change. And I think in our, some of our later programs, we should be exploring some of the other reports the Club of Rome has produced. So the, the Club of Rome was very controversial when it produced its first report in 1972. Um, the right wing said, oh, this is all part of a world government push. If you Google my name and Club of Rome, I'm there as a member of the Illuminati and uh, all sorts of sinister people. Uh, <laughs> Keith, you with sinister people. Absolutely, if, if you're to believe the internet. Um, and, and so its problem is that we're ignoring the warning. The fact is that um, people want to be deceived. They don't want to be told the truth. They want to live in a state of denial. The Anglo-American poet T.S. Eliot said, humankind can only cope with a little reality. Well, the thing is, though, that you've got a younger generation coming through where, where climate change is being taught a lot and, and they're passionate. So let's hope they prevail at some point, Keith. Absolutely. And the Club of Rome meeting at the Vatican was very important. We had a lot of young people. The public sessions, we had 400 people. So there's a lot of interest there. So it is very encouraging. Um, but, you know, it's like um, one well-known scientist who said that scientists moves one death at a time. And so in a sense, your comment about, you know, waiting for the young people to come on board when you've got a lot of older people who's just simply saying there is no real problem with climate change. Worrying. This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.